So the one that I'll tell you that I've never told anybody else. Um, so I think a lot of people wonder why, or, or they've sort of guessed at why the father of Pokey is named Aloysius. So Aloysius was a name that from years and years ago, there's a, a Bugs Bunny cartoon okay. with Daffy Duck. And there's a part in this one Daffy Duck cartoon where somebody asks him what his name is and, or, or something like this, and Daffy Duck comes up with the name Aloysius as an answer. And I remember as a kid thinking, what a dumb, funny name, you know? It's like, I mean... What if I told you the man who translated Earthbound into English was also a producer on Halo 4? Uh, it turns out that's true. Uh, Marcus Limblom uh, was the man who was handed the script for Earthbound and told, turn this into English. And at the time, Earthbound didn't do that well, went on to become a cult classic, and it was recently re-released on the Wii U Virtual Console, but that's not something that Marcus knew at the time. And... When I wrote my piece about Earthbound and how I'm playing through it on Virtual Console and I'm really enjoying it and my trepidation about whether that game held up, uh, he sent me an email uh, and just kind of thanked me for writing the story and said that he would be at PAX. So it seemed like a perfect opportunity to sit down and chat about that experience and see what that was like, what it was like to work for Nintendo in the mid-90s and some of the challenges he faced in translating Earthbound. Uh, so it was a wonderful conversation. Uh, he wanted to make sure I mention, and I will repay the favor in saying that uh, you want to be paying attention to his current company, uh, Carried Away Games. You can follow them on Twitter at Carried Away Game. Uh, they're going to have some pretty cool announcements coming down the road uh, that Earthbound fans are, are going to want to take notice of. Uh, so uh, that's, that's all I, I should really say about it, uh, and I will turn it over to our conversation. I mean, I'll tell you, for me, it was the oddest project I ever worked on. But it was the best project I ever worked on. It's still, still to this day, like that yeah. is the the gold standard for weirdness and proudness. Yeah, yeah. Sadly, I mean, I, I you know I've had. A I don't know about sadly. That's I mean like that's a that's a, that's well, a game that a lot a whole lot of people treasure as their their favorite you know video game of all time. Well, exactly, and that's part of the reason why it was you know such a cool deal. But, um, you know, I worked like I said at a lot of studios and a lot of the different games, and and you kind of work on what they give you, right? And so, you know, like anybody that's sort of done the trenches thing in the industry and is in that position, you know, you've, a lot of times you've got a wide portfolio of games. Some of them can be pretty good, and I've got, you know, a number of games I'm pretty proud of and I liked. Earthbound being really, yes, seriously, the, the one that just because it's had such a long tail, if you will, it's the one I'm most proud of. But I got dogs there too that you had no choice about and you worked with the team you got and you you know just the way it worked and uh so earthbound really in a lot of ways for me you know was incredibly special because you know it's it, it occupies a weird space i think in the uh sort of video game history because you know like a lot of people say i mean it's an odd jrpg because it's in the modern days it's it's odd. it's also self-aware like it's it's aware that it's an rpg and and the way it plays upon, you know, 
being ironic and having and addressing tropes is much more common here in 2013 than it was when that game came out. Like it's trendy to do that now to break the fourth wall. That was not the case back then, and in fact, I have to imagine in some cases weirded people out that yeah. it was that. Hey, this is a game. Stop talking about the fact that you're a game. <laughs> right, and I think that was kind of one of the things that that was maybe a little hard for some people to get past. But see, the for me. Itoi-san, who wrote, you know, the game. I mean, his background was not in games. His background was as a writer. His background was in, you know, advertising in the very beginning in Japan and as a copywriter. And so, you know, I was, I think, amazingly fortunate. I'm going to be honest. I mean, writing stories in games, in my opinion, is an incredibly difficult thing to do. I mean, to do it well. And I was hugely fortunate to get to work with a guy who, you know, writes, he writes in a really interesting way. I mean, even in Japanese, they sort of consider his work to be, you know, very nuanced and different than a lot of other stuff that they see in Japan. And so I got to work with somebody who is, you know, on the writing side, just very special. And, you know, getting to take that and kind of move it over to the you know, Americanized version and a localized version, I would say, um, was, you know, sort of a challenge. It was, you know, really um, exhilarating at times because, you know, you knew, you know, I knew as I was doing it that there were things that, well, let me put it this way. I I know somebody who's who's working with him now Mm -hmm. and translates some of his work into English. And, you know, as they put it, they're trying to translate the untranslatable. And it was, I mean, when they told me that, I was like, yeah, I know exactly how you feel. <laughs> it, it's, it's, I mean, what you're describing seems like it's not as simple as just turning Japanese into English. It's, it's context, it's, it's intent, it's yeah. a lot of nuance that isn't necessarily obvious. You know, there's one way to translate it, which is just translate it, yeah. but it doesn't appear like what the work you did was, was like that. It was much more interpretation of intent. Yeah, and, and so the difficult thing was it's it's even within Japanese. Japanese people don't always necessarily understand all of the things that Itoi-san puts into his Japanese text. I mean, uh, that was the one thing that we, we sort of realized is in the middle of all this translation and all the work that there were things there that, you know, because our, the, the steps we went through in the process was we had a rough translation done by um, a woman named Keiko Tomura who really great translator um she'd been probably in the states for like 10 years or whatever so you know pretty bilingual in a lot of ways um but still she couldn't catch all of the japanese nuances which was tough and then even like then when she went to english trying to take the weird sort of esoteric bits and try to get anything you know and so she just did this very straight like put it down not worry about it let me sort of take it and try to get it into something that I thought was presentable. And luckily I had a co-translation director. Um, so it was me and a guy named Masayuki Miyuda. And so Miyuda-san was the guy who had worked at, he, he worked at Ape, and he was the one that was able to sit down with me and try to explain to me what was all the sort of, again, esoteric sort of hidden bits in the Japanese 
in order to try to get some of that into the English if possible, or to sit down and say, okay, I know this is never going to really probably work totally in English. <laughs> Let's see what we can come up with. And, 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 you know, it was great because he gave me a lot of latitude and a lot of ways to say, you know, look, it's a kind of a dumb joke in Japanese come up with something in English that may be kind of a dumb joke and it was like all right sure and you know that's a nice canvas to work with yeah I mean it was you know I've told a few people that um you know I was I was fortunate because it was kind of a perfect storm in a way for me in a lot of ways I I um I had lived in Japan for four years so I was pretty you know familiar with the culture and what it it brought you there originally well um well, my, well, what truly drove me over there was I just really needed a change. But I'd also married a girl who's half Japanese. And her mom and dad were living there. Her dad was military and her mom was Japanese. And she'd grown up in Hawaii and all this. And then they, her, her parents went to Japan because her father was working with the Army. And, um, and, and I, but I really did just need a change of, you know, sort of lifestyle and all this. And I went over and I thought, well, maybe I can teach them English. You know, I know some English. <laughs> and, uh, and it worked out. And we had originally thought we'd be there just a short amount of time, and I ended up staying for four years. So it was kind of cool. I mean, and got, you know, it, it, it's funny because you, you sort of get into this mode of, I'm, 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 an, I'm an American, I know I'm never going to be Japanese. You're never going to fit in. You know, it's just never going to be the same. But... Japanese people are amazingly gracious and amazingly, you know, generous with people. And, and so the four years was really great and easy. I mean, even though, like I say, culturally, they, they kind of figure you're never going to really fit in. You, you're always, you know, they have the term gaijin, which is, you know, for all outsiders. And you'll always be a gaijin. You know, there's nothing to change that. And, and it never bothered me that much. And, and I just accepted it. But the thing that, um, that you do is you sort of, you get to see... Japanese culture from the inside and so that helped when it came I think to some degree to working with the text in Earthbound um, you know and I was lucky because um, I had mentioned to, to somebody else that just before I got into the games group at Nintendo I'd worked in the customer service area but the one thing is I spent like a year and a half in the correspondence department so I was writing letters mm-hmm. so my like my English got better than it had ever been <laughs> and so you know like going through getting it all grammatically correct and all the, you know, punctuation and everything all just tidied up as much as possible. Um, that worked out. Now, I'm sure there are a few grammatical errors in there, but um, we did, a, I think, a decent job. Um, so all of these things, you know, kind of combined really well. And, and I, was, I was at a good point in my life. Um, a lot of people kind of know the story that I had a daughter that was born while I was working on it, and they got, I got to put her name in it and stuff. Anyway, I was at that point in my life where, you know, I was happy on a personal level, you know, and just kind of everything came together. And, and I got this script that was very deep and really broad and you know the emotional kind of roller coaster that the game kind of puts you on because you go from a you know it's written so well because you go from that carefree young kid all the way through the game until you you know you're fighting this guy who's supposedly going to blow up the universe or you know kill everything and so it's it's a really like I said to me it was just really a broad game that 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 played on people's emotions a ton, you know, um, and didn't do it with, you know, like sort of a lot of 
kind of cheap violence, I don't think. I think it's sort of a psychological, you know, like, like a lot of people seem to get really creeped out by the end of the game, which I get, because it is kind of creepy. Um, but it's, uh, it's the kind of thing that I enjoyed writing so much. Because it, it, it just, it had that huge span. So, yeah, so I got lucky. I mean, I got a great script, a great writer, you know, worked with great people. We worked really hard. We jammed it into a really short amount of time. Three months, I wanted to say? Really, I mean, I started after Christmas. I started after Christmas, and, you know, the game was released in early June, which means, and and see, I don't remember the dates exactly, unfortunately, but we would have had to go into, you know, into production. You know, they would have had to start making... Yeah, it's, not an, it's not an overnight process. The carts take a fair number of weeks in order exactly. to, to get shipped and everything. Exactly. And so I know that we would have had to probably be done and get it into manufacture probably by early May at the latest. Because that was... You know, they, they didn't really like to go more than a month to manufacture and ship and everything. Right. So it had to be, like, early May that we finished... But the thing was, we were in QA as well for at least a month, I'm sure, through April. Which means I had to be finished pretty much from like January to March, is what I vaguely remember is kind of what I had to do. So I had January, February, and March. Is that, is that like roughly ballpark for other projects? Like what, how is three months uh, relative to the time you would get with other scripts? Well, that's a really good question. I mean, every project is different, you know. I mean, it's funny. It... it you know, some games, I, I, we, I, in, in my company that I have now, we, we've contracted with other groups. And um, a project that we worked on, they, you know, it was a big AAA title and stuff. And, you know, they had full cinematics and a big story and all this kind of stuff sort of tied into the game. And they were writing that one. They didn't finish their writing until about three months before it was supposed to finish certification. So, you know, that project was one where the, I know the guys that did the localization got it really late. And so they ended up having to do that whole thing in about three months. Now it was an action game, so it didn't have all the text of like an RPG. But, you know, there are times that there are localization teams that get stuff and they get, yeah, six weeks, two months maybe if they're lucky. Um, sometimes for smaller games with less text, it, yeah, it might, it might be just a matter of weeks. Well, and, the, and the weird thing back then that is certainly not true of localization now or is less true is the memory constraints. Yeah. So was that, was that like a huge consideration in Earthbound or not, yeah. as, not as much? So the reason it wasn't as big a deal is because they had, they had committed to a pretty good-sized cart. Like it was the largest cart, I think if I remember correctly, it might have been the largest cart in Meg size that they had ever done. And so they had committed to a large cart no matter what. So we kind of had more, you know, we had, we had room. And, and, and the other thing, you know, that they were, that they were really good about is they, they had a system in, in Earthbound where I worked on some other games at Nintendo. And, you know, a lot of times they would give you Japanese in a block and they would say, okay, in Japanese it takes place in this one text window. And that one text window may have 36 characters of space. And so they tell you, that's what you get. 36 characters, take the Japanese, make it work. And that's hard. See, all these people, there's Twitter with 140 characters. People yeah. don't know how good they have it. Yeah, exactly. The Twitter, the Twitter dudes are, are so lucky. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that short amount of space is, is, is tough. And it was, it was hard because in Japanese you have 
Chinese characters and then their phonetic alphabet. And the Chinese characters are great, you know, because in three Chinese characters you can put out a really complex idea or word or whatever. English is really bad at that. Yeah, yeah. And so it, it was that kind of thing was really hard. But I was lucky in Earthbound because they had a system where they, you know, if you played Earthbound, you remember you could hit a button to change to the next text box of, of text and those kinds of things they could put in if we needed to. So so I was able to get more space if I needed it and it didn't really, it wasn't a memory constraint because it was just text, it's really small and they had already had a big cart that they had planned for. So I was lucky. I think one of the things that's interesting and helps Earthbound sort of hold up these days is that in comedy, it's very easy to use like sort of pop culture touchstones as a, as a cheap way of getting a laugh. And, and the game, I'm I'm like th- I'm three fourths through it. I think like doesn't doesn't have a whole lot of that, if if any at all, that I even noticed. Well, so that's the funny thing. Um, I'm glad you said you hadn't noticed, <laughs> because see, this is the one thing: is a lot of the stuff I wrote actually comes from stuff in my childhood the 70s, even the 80s and stuff. I mean, there are things in there that people don't really know. They don't necessarily look at it and think, oh, I know where that probably is from because it's not it's an not obvious, right? I guess that's the difference, yeah. But a lot of the stuff, like I, when, when I see things and people say, oh, I love this line or whatever, you know, and I look at it and I think, yeah, I know why I wrote that. And I remember <laughs> what, what it was that spurred me to write that. And, so, and a lot of times that is, you know, stuff from... Do you have an example, like, of one that, one that sticks out? Oh, yeah. I've got lots of examples of that. Um, I mean, I can tell you the number. But so, I mean, I try to give you guys, like, something new every time I know. Um, so the one that I'll tell you that I've never told anybody else. Um, so I think a lot of people wonder why, or, or they've sort of guessed at why the father of Pokey is named Aloysius. So Aloysius was a name that... From years and years ago, there's a, a Bugs Bunny cartoon okay. with Daffy Duck. Uh-huh. And there's a part in this one Daffy Duck cartoon where somebody asks him what his name is and, or, or something like this. And Daffy Duck comes up with the name Aloysius as an answer. And I remember as a kid thinking, what a dumb, funny name. You know, it's <laughs> like, I mean, it's just of all the things to think of first, you pick Aloysius. Right. And, and so this was like a thing from my childhood. And when it came time to name Pokey's dad that's what I grabbed was a Bugs Bunny reference from years and years ago did did you have I mean did you have a lot of time to really think that stuff through like how how much time or was it more like I don't have that much time to actually write this thing I kind of just need to follow my gut and whatever I you know whatever I think works right now maybe I can come back to it but probably not yeah that, that that definitely happened I mean there were a number of cases where I, I did mean to come back and change something, and I didn't get a chance. And so there are a few of those in the game where I look at it and I'm like, oh. Well, and, and I've told people about this one a couple of times too, but there is a line in the game, and, and it's funny. A lot of people like the line and think it's funny and stuff, but it's when you confront a cop in, in, uh, on it, and, and it's early in the game, and he says something like, um, you know, I'm, I'm get ready for my uh, you know, super ultra mambo Fat Tom Mambo Tango Fat Fox Foxtrot, you know martial arts or whatever, and it was one that I put in really fast because in Japanese I think it was it was shorter and it was like called his 
like mambo tango martial arts mm -hmm. and I added in a couple of more dance moves you know or styles or whatever <laughs> just really quick because it was like first thing I could think of right it was like easy it's like okay dance style dance style throw in a couple more dance styles just to make it goofy and you know keep it lighthearted. and I put it in and I always thought well that's just so easy it's like <laughs> too obvious you know it's like can I do something with this to make it a little bit quirkier and a little bit weirder because they were kind of always you know telling me don't be afraid to make it a little weird don't don't worry if it's you know if you're going quirky it's okay I mean they didn't want something that was and I didn't either I didn't want something that was so weird that was just like I don't even know what that's right. mean right. you know means but you, but you certainly had creative freedom to like oh, yeah. go explore yeah. you can they encouraged me a ton to yeah try you know changing up some of the stuff they they they, they never once said Oh, you got to really stick close to his writing, you know, which was really great. I mean, they gave me a lot of freedom. Um, you know, I did want to keep it as close to his stuff because I knew his stuff was good and special. Right. Um, so I worked with, like I say, Miyota-san really closely. He would explain to me all the nuances. You know, we would try to keep all the, the weird little things as much as we could. And like I said, we hit a number of them. We missed, well, like, for example, I mean, I'll just throw this out because it, I, it's one I thought of last night. Um, there's a number of places in the game where he writes in a haiku, in a Japanese haiku poem, right? And we got a lot of them, or, 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 a, or a few of them, and, and we did our answers in English in a haiku as well, which people probably never notice, but we did. But there is a couple of times where I think even like Keiko, the translator, didn't realize that the answer was a haiku. <laughs> and so consequently, when I got the English, I didn't know. And I think Miyuta-san missed telling me, oh, that was a kaiku. And so <laughs> that happened, too, you know. But, but they let me kind of, yeah, work with what I, you know, what they gave me. And it was, it was really great to have that, you know, confidence and, uh, in, in what I was writing and let me sort of explore weird things. But that, like I say, that line, that Mambo Tango Foxtrot line is one that I always intended to go back and try to fix and try to make it better. And I didn't. And it bugs me to this day. <laughs> and like I said, I know people have said, "Oh, I love that line. It's funny. It's you know." It's like, but that's one that sticks out to you. Is like, you, and you knew you could have taken another pass on that. I, well, I intended to. Yeah. I wanted to, and just, you know, it was one of those things when you've got a stack of paper that's six inches high, and you know that it's in there somewhere. You're like, you know, you just forget about it or whatever. And it, I didn't change it, and it bugs me. <laughs> you know. Right. Have you? So, you know, famously, you know, the Mother 3, the, the sequel to Earthbound, didn't, didn't come out here, and then the fans kind of went on their own yeah. and sort of did their own translation. Have you checked that out at all? Like, was, I have to imagine there's some curiosity to see how people carried over or didn't carry over sort of like your tone and, and approach. Well, yeah, you know, that's interesting. So, so it's a kind of a complex answer, to be honest with you. Um, well, maybe I shouldn't say that. It's, I've got... so. So the one thing I know about that translation is that it's done by a guy who's a translator, and I think he did a great job. And, I, and I've looked at, like, a walkthrough a bit of, of some of the bits of Mother 3, and it looks like he did a great job. The only reason I haven't played it, and this is going to sound maybe a little bit mm, stuffy or something to some people, but, I mean, I'm a game developer. I've worked in the game dev business for 20 years, longer if I count my, you know, just Nintendo time as well. Right. Um, but I just, the first thing they tell you when in, in the Mother 3 thing that you can go out and grab is that you need to find the ROM for the game. Right. Go out and get it. We're not going to tell you how. And, and for me, 
I just have this thing about I can't just go out and grab ROMs. I just am not great about that. So, you know, I don't have any other issue with people doing it on their own and stuff. But for me, on a professional level, it's just hard for me to say, I'm going to go out and grab the other three ROMs someplace. (laughs) And I'm going to, like, throw it in and take a look and play it. And as much as I would love to play it and would love to see Etoy's story and, you know, and the translation and, yeah, you know, I mean... I don't really expect it to be sort of maybe like mine. Now, have you played it? No, no. I mean, but, but everyone keeps everyone keeps asking, like, you should yeah. check it out. I mean, it does seem to be like sort of really well liked. It seems it seems like yeah. for for what they were trying to do, and you know, it's, it's it gets into a bunch of gray areas. You know, it's like they're, they're, it's not available here. People don't have other options. But right, right. but I can definitely see both sides of that. Of well, yeah, and see, and I don't like to get into the big discussion about it. Really, I mean, someone asked me like. I mean, I did I did a, an article with Kotaku and somebody. Yeah. The, yeah, yeah, I read that. It was well, thanks. The comment somebody somebody said, "Have you have you played Mother Three? Did you like it? You know, blah blah blah." And and I didn't want to answer it there because I didn't want to get into the whole. You know, honestly, I didn't want a bunch of people turning it into a big debate. I mean, it was kind of a it was kind of an interesting because in the comments of that article there was sort of a debate just yeah. about the title of the thing, you know, which I thought was really fun. I actually enjoyed the back and forth. Yeah, there was yeah, the the, the idea that like the, the the I think the headline was what, the man who wrote Earthbound and like and what and what that means like I knew what the headline was going for. And I think most people got that too. Well, I think most people didn't mind, but I think there are always a few people that, you know, they, it was a, too literal for them and and I get that. But, you know, and and I thought about it and and I do think of myself as the localizer of the game but you know the funny thing is um, and I didn't put this up there or anything but I mean in the game credits I'm listed as English text writer or English writer so it's like look Japanese guys put me in as a writer so I mean I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get a big semantics game at that point yeah so you know writer I'm, I'm I don't I had his story and I worked from that but I also know, you know, at the end of the day, if somebody else would have done it, it would have come out different, you know, and it wouldn't have had the same lines as I had, and some of the stuff would have been, you know, done a different way. So, you know, writer or not, I don't really care that much. Like I said, what I am in the credits, I'm happy with, and that's cool. Um, but back to the original thing with Mother 3, I, I really would love to play it because I'd love to see, like I said, Itoi's story. I know, I think he got deeper in Mother 3. Like, it sounds like, from what I've gathered, it sounds like it deals with life and death a lot more. Yeah, from what I understand, it it gets pretty dark. Yeah, exactly. So I would love to play it. Of course, with his sort of sensibility and tone, like, the way he plays with light and dark and and sort of tough messages is is interesting. Like, the, the sort of... Sort of the, the the nuance he brings to that, it's not as as you know as stark as as good and bad. Yeah, yeah, and and so I'd love to play it. I I, I guess I can only say I hope it becomes a legal copy over here. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I think that's you know that's part of I think what people have always been you know uh, upset with the way Nintendo hasn't really acknowledged the, the the series and Earthbound in particular in the last basically since it was come out, was because yeah, yeah. the only way you can show the company, you know, it's one thing to create fan sites and for, you know, press to ask, you know, the executives of the company about it, but it's another thing to be able to put your money where your mouth is and say, this is how much we care about this game. Like, yeah. And then, and that's the way you get people to take notice. So, I mean, will that result in Mother 3 getting, you know, an actual Treehouse translation? I don't know, but this is at least the best opportunity yet for the fans to get as serious as they can about, you know, showing the company that 
we really do cherish this franchise and, and wish you would pay more attention to it. Yeah, and, and I, I mean, I will tell you that I have been um, really, you know, overwhelmed with the fact that it came out and it did really well, seemingly, on, you know, the virtual console. Because, I mean, honestly, I, you know, a part of me, you know, I lived through the first release. I lived through something that, you know, I thought we had that was cool and, you know, interesting and different and all that, and then watched it just kind of, you know, fizzle out, you know? And as much as it was disappointing and things like that, um, you know, I was busy. I moved on. I had other games. I mean, it's, you know... It's just a project. Well, yeah, and sadly, it wasn't the only one I've ever had to do that to, you know? (laughs) Um, But at the the end of the day, you know, I was proud of the work I did, and and, and luckily, I think, you know, in the reviews, a lot of people, you know, respected the writing and the humor and things, and that was the part I was glad about, but I knew it didn't sell well. And, and yeah, I mean, it it, it was, like you said, you know... at the time I was doing it, it was my project. And as much as I cared about it and loved it and thought it was great and really enjoyed it and had a good time writing it and all, you know, I knew I was going to finish it. And, you know, and in those days, the thing that's... And, and, and I've, I've mentioned this before, too, but, I mean, I'm so grateful for things that we have today where, you know, I can go on Twitter and I can see people's comments, you know, playing Earthbound, you know, I'm up to, to three and fighting a tent, you know, and, and people write all these weird things and it's like they, they seem to really enjoy all that stuff that, you know, I always hoped they would. Right. But back in those days, I had no idea, you know, really. There was no fan sites. There was nothing but reviews, really, and sales numbers, and that was what you got everything based off of. And, you know, today it's out on, on the virtual console and... It isn't just looking at sales on a virtual console and stuff. It's the fact that I know in the Meverse there's tons of people that post stuff. I'm, I mean, it, it's it's been nice up until the release that you know I could see fan art, I could see all these like great things, I could see people starting to cosplay and all this kind of thing, and and you know that's really satisfying. But now I I see a whole new group of people that. Well, a lot of them I don't even know were born when the game came out. Probably not. Yeah. Probably not. And they're playing it and they're enjoying it. And, you know, at the time I wrote it, I don't think any... I, if somebody would have told me, I would have... I was not. You'd be sitting here doing interviews for Earthbound in yeah, 2013? Yeah, <laughs> chance. You know, it's like my, my initial response would have been, are you kidding me? It's not going to happen. Um, you know, I would have said two years down the road, I'm not going to be doing anything because that just wasn't what happened in those days, really. It's just the nature of it. And what's changed so much between then and now... You know, is that instantaneous feedback, right? Yeah, where yeah. you get you something goes out there, and you can either actively get feedback where people are talking to you if you're putting yourself out there, or like you said, you can you can watch Twitch streams, or you can just search well, Twitter for Earthbound, and you can yeah. see what people are just saying about it, kind of out into the to the ether. Yeah, and the Twitch stream thing is really, really amazing. I mean, I don't know how many people like realize, and even like devs and stuff, like if people are are streaming their play where they show their face, you know, especially for a game like Earthbound, I mean, it's like a revelation for me because, you know, all the times that, yeah, I mean, I wrote stuff in there that was, you know, had personal touches, right? And and things that, you know, I thought were funny. I mean, I'll be honest with you, a bunch of the stuff, there's lines in there that come from the group of guys I was working at with at Nintendo. There was, you know, uh, a group that I was, the the... The game dev group that, that I was in wasn't the Treehouse. 
there were actually two game dev groups internally at that time. Was Treehouse are still around? Yeah. Okay. Okay. And they were they were they were downstairs, and we were upstairs. And the dev group I was in included the lot check group and so the lot check group was the guys that did you know the the final test and approval of, of all the games that came out for for the super nes and you know so we had a bunch of guys that were testers and then a number of us that were you know like i said my, my job title was software analyst that I, I worked on localizing essentially you know different games that either nintendo had developed in japan or i also worked on sometimes uh second-party games, if you will, where Nintendo was paying for some other developer to make it. Um, so, you know, we were a tight group, and, I mean, like you probably know, anytime you get a batch of, like, you know, 15 to 20 guys, and it's all guys all the time, you know, you, you always have, have a handful of guys that are really funny. And, you know, and so the stuff we did and the stuff we just in the course of daily work there, I mean, there was a lot of funny things that happened, and some of that ended up in Earthbound. So, you know, it, 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 was, it was a fun time in a lot of ways. Like I said, you know, the, the, the industry was young. Things were just starting out. I mean, there really weren't many rules about stuff, you know, about the way you should do things and stuff. And, right. you know, it, it, was, it was a pretty wide-open canvas, and, you know, I'm hugely fortunate to have been a part of it and even more hugely fortunate to have worked on a game that you know sort of achieved that weird sort of cult status that so few things actually ever do yeah. I mean there's a lot of things I worked on back then that nobody ever cares about and nobody <laughs> will ever care about again I mean and that's fine I that's what I figured all that stuff kind of ends right. up being but the, yeah like I said you know today people playing it people you know showing themselves playing it throwing up stuff on Twitter or blogging about it or, you know, commenting on posts and forums or whatever. I mean, all of these various things is all stuff that we just never had. And it's really, it's, you know, the, the part of the whole game industry and the, and the fandom that I just, I don't think I had ever foreseen. And I'm not sure anybody in the game business ever really saw well, you know, it's like knowing that YouTube would be the place where people would be putting up all of these Let's Plays. Right. And, you know, I mean, it's just the, the industry has changed so much. It's mind-boggling for me sometimes. And trying to keep up is particularly <laughs> difficult. But You only try and keep up as much as you can and try and, try yeah. and just not get too overwhelmed by it. Yeah. Um, do you keep in touch with anyone from, from that era, from specifically that, you know, that project, or did everyone kind of just go their separate ways? Well, so unfortunately, I, you know, I haven't talked to Miyura-san or Keiko Tamura in years and years, like, you know, since I left Nintendo in 1996. Um, but, so, I actually did see Dan Osen, who was... So he was the one that did some uh, parts of English where... And, and he, he actually told me because I didn't I didn't remember the story but he had done the English for a demo that they did internally hmm. which I think got it greenlit for North America and so that that demo slice Dan had done the English working over and for and stuff and you know like I've told people he's the one that came up with I'm I'm, I'm positive it was him because I know it wasn't me um, he came up with fuzzy pickles and stuff you know which is so iconic right and and he did a couple of other, of the other like really iconic jokes in there too, um, 
but I did see him like three weeks ago. So I've seen him a number of times over the years, and, and he was one of those guys that, you know, I would go to E3, and I'd, I'd head over to the Nintendo booth and sit and talk. And, and there are a few guys still at Nintendo from that time period. So, yeah, I've, I've kept in touch with a few, you know. Um, a number of them have moved on and gone to other companies, and I still see him, and we still stop and chat. Um, saw a guy who used to work in the treehouse when, when I was working on Earthbound, and uh, I saw him today at the PAX, on the PAX floor. He works for Microsoft now. And uh, stopped and said hello, and he said, oh, yeah, I read your article. And, <laughs> yeah, you know, we caught up for a minute, which was kind of cool. His name is actually in the game as well. Ah. As a, um, he's one of the default names for, it might be Jeff. Like, you know, when you do the don't yeah, care sure. and you get the change, you can have the, there's a number of guys, I think it's the Jeff character, where I, I dumped a bunch of people from the group I was working in and some of the Treehouse guys. So it's another weird little bit that nobody else, I've, I've never told anybody that one either. So. Cool. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks, Patrick.